Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the No Bad Dogs podcast. Uh, This is an excellent and different podcast. It's not about behavior at all. It's not about aggression. It's not about reactivity. So this is going to be a little freshy for you. This is a deaf dog uh, that was, it's 10 months old deaf dog that's been passed around, uh, found on the streets. Um, So just a lot of like, hey, what do we do? Uh, We have a really nice dog owner that I've worked with before trying to do everything they possibly can to do well. It's also going over uh, the proper introductions of the e-collar, why people mess them up. Also going over the interesting concepts of negative reinforcement and what it means and what positive reinforcement means. So it's a good listen for sure. I wouldn't bore you if it wasn't. Um, At the end of the podcast, I'm going to be answering three of your dog training questions. So if you're listening and you have a question, head over to the iTunes review chart and leave your review. I am doing a seminar in Australia with my friend Forrest Mickey next month. And I'm also doing a seminar in December at the Upstate Canine Academy. It's the only seminar I'm doing in the United States this year. And so get your tickets in the link in the description and I'll talk to you at the end. I know I talked to you a while ago about um, another one of my dogs. Kaya was a – I still have her. She's great. Um, she's a cattle dog mix who I got as a feral and was just trying to figure her out. Mm. Um, so she's actually settled in really well. Um, she's still a very sort of like cautious dog, so she, she kind of goes at her own pace. And we've been gradually widening her world, but she's like night and day since I last spoke with you, and that was probably six or seven months ago now. Mm. Um, and I actually just adopted another dog who is here for her first 15 hours. And this is a puppy. She is 10 months old and she's totally deaf. She came from the rescue that my senior dog came from. I do still have a 10 year old Chihuahua Cocker Spaniel mix, among other things. Uh, and she's super easygoing and doesn't really have any issues. So that's nice. <laughs> but um, this one um, is Flauta. Um, she arrived last night. She's been on a van for five days from Los Angeles. Mm. She was born in San Diego in December, um, and she was born at the rescue facility for this place. They picked up her mom off the streets of Tijuana, and um, you know she was very sick. She delivered the puppies. They were pretty sick, so they spent. Everybody was at intensive care for a very long time. So Flauda has actually survived distemper, parvo, adenovirus, and coronavirus. Um, pretty wild. She has a little bit of a tremor in her one leg and she is deaf, but other than that, she pretty much made it through okay. She just had blood work done. She's looking great. Um, and she's just a super game dog. I wanted a dog that was sort of easygoing, could eventually play with Kaya, the two-year-old, because the 10-year-old is like, no, thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's, I mean, for her first 15 hours, she's been great. I don't think she's had any formal training per se. She's been in a foster home in LA for several months now. She's basically been out of the hospital and everything for four or five. Um, And they were great, great people. They had two dogs very similar to mine. So I thought that would be a good indicator that this would work out well. Um, But they were kind of like, you know, the sort of like well-meaning, very bougie foster dog people was like a lot of training is not going on. It's just kind of a thing to do. Yeah. Um, So anyway, like she's kind of a tabula rasa. I just took her out for her first walk. I live in a lake community in the Pocono that's super quiet, very sort of, you know, natural woodsy. 
Um, so it's a great, you know, a lot of space for her. She's good on a lead. I mean, she'll definitely need some leash skills, but she's not, she's not super bad for a, a basically untrained dog. Um, like a very, very game. She wants to be out, out in front. Her tail is up all the time in the house, outside the house. Mm-hmm. Um, just a, she's actually very like emotionally stable, <laughs> which is good, which is so unlike my other dog. Um, but I just wanted to talk to you now because I have, I, you know, previously watched your videos about working with deaf dogs and I saw your video with the deaf and the blind dog. That was fascinating. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, you know, they, the, the fosters were toying with the idea with starting with an e-collar with her. They didn't do it. I, they bought it, but didn't do it because it's easier to buy it. But I'm glad they didn't because um, it just seems like now is a great time to kind of decide how I should be training her, like, what should the e-collar be for, what should hand signals be for, um, like, they thought she was kind of slow, honestly, because, you know, her, they nicknamed her floater, because they just thought she was, like, this space cadet of a dog, um, but, like, in the, like I said, 15 hours she's been here since last night, I've been able to capture sits, I capture check-ins when she'll look at me and make eye contact, so she's now offering those really frequently, because, she you knows she gets treats for it, so, I mean, I think she's incredibly workable, super high, um, food motivation. Uh, it's just like a super great dog to start with, but it's all now about, you know, building a foundation and, and making good choices now that sort of set her up for success. That's great. Yeah. So what are your, so that's where I want to, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. What are your ultimate goals? Like I know that she's young, you just got her trying to figure each other out. What are your ultimate goals? Yeah. My ultimate goal is that, um, you know, she continues to be a sort of great outdoors dog uh, I don't I mean there's like there's halo collars and I'm sure we'll talk about all kinds of things e-collars in terms of recall and stuff mm-hmm. the only drawback to where we currently live is that um, it's this very sort of like nature preserving type place there's a lot of deer and so they don't allow anyone to have fences so nobody gets you know deer caught in their fence mm-hmm. which is like fine um, but obviously I'm not going to be doing a ton of off-leash stuff with her right at the beginning I do have her on a um, she's been on a 40 foot um, well, I'm like, <laughs> I have like puppy brain. She has me up at 2.30 in the morning. What am I talking about? Uh, she has a slip lead. She has a 40-foot long slip lead. Um, so we're doing kind of long line stuff, and, you know, she's walking well. So if we can keep walking, keep doing outdoors, ultimately I would love for her to kind of be, like I mentioned, the companion dog to my um, my feral dog, my former feral. And she's, she's accepted her. I thought the feral dog, frankly, was going to have like a way worse time with this. I was kind of concerned about that. Um, and I am still keeping Flout in a separate room and stuff, and um, but it, it's gone much, much better than I thought it would. And I think the only thing that's really off-putting the dynamic there, which maybe is something we could talk about, is when, I mean, this is, sounds pretty normal, but when Flauta wants to play with a dog, her strategy is just, like, continuously bark at them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's all well-intentioned, and there's no, she's not jumping on dogs or anything, but um, Kaya, like I mentioned, is kind of a more sensitive type. And so she's, she'll, she'll choose to be in the same room with her and stuff. And I know they, they both want to engage with each other, but if there's a way I can kind of help guide Flauta to a better way of doing that, I just think if the barking weren't such a part of it, that would probably happen a lot more smoothly. Um, so that's pretty much it. Like outdoors, um, you know, decent recall, whether it's on the long line or maybe someday offline. Uh, and yeah, just pretty much a house dog. The one thing she does that our other ones don't do which is super normal, and I know I'm like I've been so lucky to this point, but she will kind of she will do alert barking for all the stuff that she wants to do. It seems mm-hmm. um, so. I would love to rein that in because my other ones do not do that. It's very seldom. The one was just barking at the UPS man, um, but other than that, they're they're very quiet. So if I could keep her quiet, <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. She we don't have a ton of expectations for her, just kind of being a good canine citizen. And she, like I said, naturally she's really well disposed to that. I'm I'm pretty impressed with her, honestly. Um, but it's really just about getting some actual, I think, 
you know, training in her and, and some giving her some guidance and helping her understand she should be looking to people to help her decide what she's going to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think first of all, for the, for the barking, especially with deaf dogs, they don't, a lot of dogs can kind of self-regulate. They, they understand what the bark is because they can hear it. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So sure. some dogs who are, it's the same thing with deaf people too. That's why they feel uncomfortable maybe with talking because they oh, don't like a volume issue. Yeah. Yeah. The volume, um, just the, the way that they, say you know just same thing with dogs like they don't understand how much their voice inflection carries and they don't understand how the dogs are picking up on it so that's just one thing to consider that Mm -hmm. deaf dogs don't understand regulation of their vocalization obviously because they can't hear it that's how right that's how people talk that's how people sing that's how people communicate and so we can hear ourselves which we don't even like realize and if you actually think about it it's kind of weird you're like well i didn't ever think about that but that's how we are able to control our voice and our tone and all that stuff so anyway yeah yeah, so so there's that is just like understanding you know again a she's a she's a puppy so they bark they yip like hey look at me let's let's give me your attention you know and so there's there's two of those things that are really going into it that you know likely are are inevitably yeah it's gonna happen um I would personally, you know, I always try to give people advice on like what I would do um, with my yeah, dog. Yeah. Sure. Personally, for me, <clears throat> I'd let that play out until it becomes uh, very uh, uncontrollable and or very like a big, big, big factor of yeah, yeah big burden. Because um, <clears throat> again, at like the ten, ten how, so she's ten months now, right? Oh yeah, I should tell you like what she actually is, right? So she's twenty three pounds. She is a true like mongrel mutt. I am going to DNA test her, but she has to be, I think, some kind of terrier. She's very wiry-haired, like a mix, obviously. Um, but her color is brindle, which is, you know, not usually a terrier color. So it's. I'm imagining she has some mix of, of larger dog in her. She had one surviving sibling. Like six of them were born together. Only two made it. They were like, I mean, it was, it was totally crazy. But her brother looks kind of like a yellow lab, um, but they're small. So she's 23 pounds. Her paws are huge. I don't know how much bigger she'll get. I don't imagine much, but she's just so sort of scrawny because she's been so sick and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think she'll end up being kind of like a long, low rider. Um, maybe she'll chonk out a little bit. But yeah, she's basically like a terrier, like a, a good sort of either a large, small, or like a small, medium mm-hmm. terrier, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's... Um, okay, so, so, so I would just say that like let it let it play out a bit. Yep, let it play out a little bit. But like I said, you definitely can start correcting the behavior. Um, I would. The only way to really do that is in my. And again, this is this is what I would yeah, do. Is just with your you. with your slip yeah. leash. Um, that's what I would do. Just like a quick okay. little pop. Um, just to basically like get her, <clears throat> get her attention, a, get her attention, yeah. snap her out of it. And what you want to do is, you got to be careful how you do this because yeah. if, if you correct. And then she looks at you and then you pay her. Um, That's going to be a problem, right? Yeah, it <laughs> could be a problem. <clears throat> could be a problem. There's two, well, like everything else in dogs, there's two different ways that that'll go. Right. Um, it could be a problem just because she might then start looking at, she might start indicating that barking gets her paid. 
Um, right. But, <laughs> no, the opposite of what we want. Yeah. Yeah. But also, too, some dogs uh, are witty and smart enough to, instead of barking, they just look at you for food. So yeah. it can go either way. Like you have a dog that sits there and starts barking because they're into the other dogs or they're into whatever squirrels or whatever. And then you correct them and then they look at you and then they get paid. They might, and it's, it, it has happened where they go, Oh, if I just look at the handler instead of barking, that's where I get paid. So instead of like, there's an option, like when a dog comes up to a situation, if there's a, if it's a, a glass door or another dog and she comes up and she's like, I have two decisions. I can either go towards mom and get paid or I can just start barking at my brothers and sisters or whatever. So, right. so just again, like play around with that a little bit. Yeah. See, see how yeah. that goes. Um, but I think ultimately it's definitely fair for you. Like if you're living in your house and your dog is constantly habituating, barking and causing an insane amount of stress or right. whatever, then yeah, you can definitely start correcting that, um, with your leash. So you just use your leash pop and, and essentially when she stops barking, you can then pay her wherever you feel appropriate. So that'll either be, yeah. that'll either be with. Uh, affection physically or it could be uh you know just with payments of um of you know food or something like that definitely but, yeah it, that that's appropriate it's just it's a disadvantage because you can't really cue it you can't really mark it um, exactly yeah so it's not as so and, and again everything is a split so part of me is like it's not sustainable because ultimately we want to say hey leave it and the dog goes got it done right the same thing when a dog naturally wants to pull and we say heal and they're like okay uh, because they know that the enforcing the enforcement comes in after right they know that they have to heal um but get, yeah. right so but then, then the other part is too is just again there's always this split where <clears throat> the dog could also understand that barking creates punishment so they're like okay i'd rather not do that so it's tough. It's tougher, but you have to like weigh out your options and um, risk over reward type thing. Yeah. So that's that's the start. Is just you can definitely start correcting it. Um, teaching like again, like what I would do if she mm -hmm. has a trigger where she's like, okay, the other dogs are playing, the other dogs are barking, the other dogs are around, and you know that she's going to <clears throat> get excited about that and bark. Put her slip leash on, go up to the opportunity, she barks, you correct her. Obviously, you don't have to verbally say anything, but right. you'd correct her, and then if she stopped, you'd pay her, and then you would walk away, you'd come back up, and the ultimate goal would be for her to not bark, and then you'd pay her. But again, you know, I'm really big on like having nature also be a thing with dogs, like letting them be dogs. Yeah, totally. So right. then you have to just, <clears throat> you have to be mindful of correcting her for wanting to join a in a very fun. normal natural yep. thing yeah uh, totally yep. because that's again that's the disadvantage like that's the, like i just posted this video on what do you do if your dog barks uh when people are at the door and so i said in that video like it's 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 crazy for anybody to expect their dog not to be suspicious when somebody rings their doorbell or comes to the front door i, I don't think it's realistic i don't think it's fair i don't think you're going to be successful but right. the, the goal is is to verbalize your obedience to decrease that primal, hey, somebody's here. So that's what I did. I knew the mailman was here. I'm like, all right, I'm going to take my phone out because I get this question all the time. And I, totally. took, <clears throat> I took my phone out and then ding dong, she started barking. I recalled her to me. 
and I put her into uh-huh. a pl- I put her into a place. I put her into a downstay, and I basically just told her to disengage. I got this. Now, if, yeah. if your obedience isn't good, you'll never do it. If your right. if your relationship isn't good, that'll never happen either. But my point is, is I can disengage her simply with the words out of my mouth, and that's it. Yeah, and I think ultimately that's the route I want to go. I know it'll be a little bit more complicated because of the obviously the deafness issue. But yeah, I, I, I suspect a lot of this will be uh, obedience related in terms, and obviously over, I mean, she's been here for 15 hours, so I'm not expecting miracles, but um, mm-hmm. over time, she's very, um, she's not clingy, which is nice, but she's just um, very extroverted, I guess you would say. So I suspect the relationship will continue to build. It's been going really well so far. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking for those two things to kind of mitigate most of it, and I think that'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my the overarching question too is, and you've touched on it for sure. I think the the trickiest thing when I just sort of think about it from from scratch, and I'm like, okay, what do I want the expert opinion on? Is you know, corrections are obviously much different for a deaf dog. Um, so you know, to your point, like the slip lead is good. Um, you know, she can get sort of popped with that. Are there other? I mean, is there really like a a way to give her a hand signal that she's going to accept as a correction? Is there something like that? Or I know in the one the video you have of the sort of like the white mastiff type dog who was deaf, um, you were doing a sort of like a tap on the flank was kind of like a, a no stop doing that. And that seemed to be gelling at that point. But I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, it depends on, it really depends on like your time that you have to spend and your handling skills. Uh, because yeah. ultimately somebody would be like, hey, how do I train this? How do I train any dog? And I'm like, I can give you- What you got, yeah. <laughs> yeah, how much time do you have? You know, uh, how good are you? I can give you- the master course, like the PhD, or I can give you the quick dog owners course. So, um, there is a, so there's a couple different ways. So again, when we're deaf, we can't hear anything. So we need some sort of physical touch. We need some sort of physicality in order to cue, um, -hmm. realistically and sustainably, just because if we talked about uh, the dog looking at you or seeing you, that's not sustainable because they're not always going to be directly facing you. Sure. Most times they're not. So that's where the remote collar comes in really, really nicely. So um, so again, like with that dog in particular, I can't really remember. I, I know that we did like this tap and recall type thing physically. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. We also worked on like when we were reacting, we did a tap and then a correction, kind of like just right. continuing to condition. So again, it really just depends on how far you want to go. Uh, but the remote collar... Um, on paper is the absolute best thing that you can do with a dog that's deaf because it's the absolute only way that you can sustainably and consistently deliver information to a dog that doesn't involve right. that doesn't involve punishment or corrections so you can over, over time be able to communicate with a push of a button and it's going to be sustainable because the button obviously is always there when you have it on and it's half a mile to a quarter mile long. So for me, that's like, again, long-term, if I had a deaf dog, that's the route. Like if I got a puppy tomorrow and they turned out to be deaf, that's the route I would go. Um, because that's like the best way. And so again, like you can't use tone because sometimes we'll use tone on like, um, blind dogs, like that dog I had in Colorado when I was on tour. Um, that's what we did is we did a tone. I I, I don't know. We did a low stem. I can't remember how we did it, but we used, yeah, I think you were doing, you did, yeah, stem. And then she had, she, she'd been starring the dog, I think at like a four. And I think you brought it down to like a two. Yeah. I think we did Um, low level continuous stem. 
And then we yeah. had food and she found the food and it was beautiful. And then the stim stopped. Yep. Yeah. That was yeah. really cool. And yeah, so I mean, maybe we could, we could definitely get into some of the intricacies of that. So like, I'm obviously learning as I go, but I'm really invested in training, at least obviously mine, <laughs> not other people's at this point. But mm-hmm. um, I work from home. I have a fairly flexible job. So thankfully I can, I can see them. I can stop and do sort of like, you know, 10, 15 minute training sessions here and there. Like it's a very good dynamic <laughs> She's playing now, so that's good. <laughs> um, you know, to be able to have opportunities throughout the day to interact with them and, and mm-hmm. give them a break and then have a time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on that. I want to keep learning. I want to be very hands-on. I want, you know, to train good dogs and not just kind of leave it to chance. Our first dog, like I said, was like that. Like, you know, basically left to chance. She was amazing. But I've been sort of, I mean, I'm, I'm tapped out now at three. But, like, I've been accumulating more difficult dogs. And they've taught me so much. I, You know, I'm doing courses where I can. Like, it's just... I'm all in on it, and it's mm-hmm. just I, I want to keep getting better. So that's just for context. But also, so now that obviously e-collar is brand new to me, I you know consider you like one of the foremost experts on e-collar. So that was a huge reason to talk. And it's interesting because like I'm not I'm not in the positive only school. Like I know the dogs need correction. Um, there is sort of a handbook on dealing with deaf dogs, and it is written by like a positive only person. So that obviously has limitations. Um, you know, their whole philosophy was stimulation of any type on the dog with the e-collar should only ever be a positive association in terms of, um, you know, stimulate them, they look at you, and then, like, they, so they always associate it with looking at you. So, but I think yours was sort of the inverse, where it was, you know, the pressure was on until they looked at you. So, I just wanted to get your take on, like, what you think the overall menu is for, you know, basics of e-collar for a dog like this. It it actually sounds like the exact same. So, again, it's, it's, it's always interesting and, and, fascinating to hear like a any type of positive only trainer use the remote collar because um they almost never want to at all yeah well it's good it's good that they understand that that's the ticket right and these are conversations especially when actual laws are being made we talk about these things like okay well what if you have a deaf dog well then e-collars are acceptable i'm like okay so an e-collar is acceptable to have an off-leash deaf dog but e-collars aren't acceptable to have for an an off-leash dog dog in general so where's the policy so so it's really actually the same uh so the the two things that you just said are the same thing that i do we're using negative reinforcement so Mm -hmm. if you're reading a book or you're reading an article you're listening to a dog trainer say that we're going to tap the remote collar until the dog looks at me and then we're going to pay the dog that's the same thing that i'm doing using negative reinforcement so we're applying pressure onto the dog again not corrective not punitive the dog doesn't feel any type of negative association with the actual collar and by negative i mean uh bad association yeah discomfort if you will and so that's exactly the same way that i do it so and that's and and again like if you look at a if you just look at like on paper that's how Mm -hmm. i've uh, the only the only time that i will so if a positive only trainer says this is the only way to use any collar properly then they would subscribe and agree to everything how i use the remote collar because that's exactly how i would use the remote collar the only time that i would introduce the remote collar as a punitive measure is if it's dangerous and it's going to cost the life of the dog yeah sure and then at that point i just use the vibrate which again, we could argue to say like what's punitive and what's not. They definitely hate it, right. but it doesn't cause them pain. So, yeah. So, um, so that's the way that I do it. So I, I just kind of like th- uh, brainstorming and thinking about the things that you're talking about in your goals. I think instead of trying to correct the dog for certain behaviors because you want the e-collar because you can't, um, it'd be really difficult 
to distinguish the differences in complexities of the remote collar stimulation and the way that you're using it, especially for just like, you know, there, there are certain people who can, with like uh, hunting dogs, you can teach a dog to go left or right with a remote or other things. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I think if you're, if you're looking at, for me, what it would be is it would be the automatic recall to you. The advantage, mm-hmm. the the huge advantage that you have is the dog isn't blind. That is a bit of a dif- disadvantage and a dangerous one because they obviously can't see where they're going, so that can cause issues. But sure, uh, with a deaf dog, you can have them reliably off leash, just like any other dog. And to be honest, you know, I, I just think it's just like you're using. Okay, you can't use your ring finger anymore, but you can use all your other fingers. To me, that's exactly what it's like training a deaf dog. It's just, it's not that much diff, diff, different. So, right. so for me, if you're saying like, okay, we don't want the barking at the dogs or we don't want the whatever, um, because you can teach heel uh-huh. and other obedience cues that you would have the dog next to you with hand signals. And that's easy to do without the remote. And mm-hmm. the enforcement would obviously be your slip leash or whatever leash you feel comfortable and you decide to use. But yeah. what I would be doing just at a glance is just using the remote collar as a recall because if you can pull the dog away from anything then it'll diffuse your behavioral issues so like let's yeah so let's say like e-collar pressure means the dog is to respond like get in front of you like a like a classical traditional front command uh-huh. or whatever you decide to do. So we practice that, obviously, for a couple of weeks. You turn the e-collar on, the dog has to find you, they get paid. That's what we did with that dog in Colorado. It was beautiful. Yeah. And then you're able to counter with pretty much, I mean, when we talk about discouraging the dog and correcting the dog, I think, yes, we could we could correct the dog however we see fit with a leash or a prong collar or a slip leash or a martingale or an e-collar or whatever. But it, it's it's going to when we talk about dogs' behavior and, and natural behavior and uh, primitive behavior, there's th- certain things that we every single dog trainer and I don't care what they say they subscribe to and what they do. We use suppression and compulsion. Every single dog trainer in the world does that. There's very vari- right. there's a spectrum and variances of these things. But if you put a dog on a leash and they want to go one way and you tell them to go the other way, you're suppressing. You're using compulsion. You're forcing them to do something that they don't want to do. Period. Right. right. There's there there is like a certain group of people that I've met and talked to that don't. And the, the only way that they're able to do that is they have and even this isn't like realistic. They have a giant fenced in like 40 acre pen and the dogs are roaming free. And that's like the only way to get around that. The dogs don't know anything. They oh can't, yeah, they can't be trained. Right. But that's like their. But even if they hit the fence. Right. Yep. You're you're using something there to stop them. That's still going to be suppression them. and compulsion, right? 100%. Yeah. You're stopping them from doing what they want to do. You did that. So anyway, but again, there's a spectrum of that because if you talk to somebody else about compulsion, they would you got to define it, right? That's the conversation, and I think that that gets thrown a lot, uh, thrown out there a lot. Is like you got we we have to we have to agree on what's the definition of this because if we're using it in different contexts, you're going to make one person look really bad and the other person look really good. Look great, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> you know, because you can say, oh my 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 trainer online, Tom Davis, said I can be using compulsion, and some if somebody's definition of compulsion is to beat a dog over the head with a piece yeah, of newspaper, right. then that would be bad. Then- but if they're like, that oh, really bad. right, but no, 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 my dog, my puppy who's 10 months is barking and wants to play with the other dogs and 
and I just don't want them to do that, so I want to recall them. You're forcing the dog to do something they don't want to do by definition is compulsion, which is what I've always used it as context. So what you could do is you can use that obedience to kind of suck the dog away from any scenario, and then that will allow you to navigate. So if you can get a – let's say I'm going to play out a scenario for you. Sure. I'm going to teach the dog – to go to the place with hand signals. I'm going to teach the dog to stay with hand signals. I'm going to teach the dog to down with hand signals. I'm going to master that. Mm -hmm. Great. When I get the dog's attention and they're looking at me, I can accomplish that. The problem is, is okay, but I want my dog to be a dog and run around and have fun. So once the dog moves away and then starts to do something, let's say they start to get too far from you. And if you're on a hiking trail or a field or again, they're barking at the other dogs habitually and they're trying to sleep or whatever. Right. If you, if you condition the dog that the e-collar stimulation turns on and they need to then recall to you. So you can, Mm -hmm. you can, you can bridge these things together. So the dog would start running to you because they know that that's what that means. They're going to get paid. They get close to you, send the dog to a place and then downstay. So you can really use that recall and then, delegate the behaviors after of whatever is appropriate for you right just an idea i mean when we because because again it's like when you get a dog's attention and they're sitting in front of you and and you have really cool hand commands to then do whatever you want the problem you're going to have is getting the dog to you so if if you can say hey if i can just get the dog in front of me i can do all the basic hand command stuff and it's going to be solid so yeah you're basically like it's a hub, right? If you will. Right. So think about it. Like I just, this just popped in my head. Think about like when you're flying, like if I wanted to fly to um, Germany, I'd go to a uh-huh. hub, right? I'd fly to Atlanta or I'd fly to Detroit cause I fly Delta. That's the big hub. That's where the big planes are. Then they send them off in all these different directions. You're going to come here first. Okay. Recall here first. Then I have a hundred bazillion options to send you wherever I need you to go. So you gotta, right. you gotta kind of create that homing device and that hub where, you can recall the dog. She comes to you. She fronts in front of you. However you do it, then yeah. you can delegate. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. For, so for like That's an average just pet dog, I mean, those are yeah. – think about the things like what else would you really want? I mean, you just want to be able to get the dog's attention, get him to you so you can diverge. So if they're out being a dog and they're, they're going to learn a lot from – the cool thing about having other dogs with a deaf dog or even a blind dog is they're going to – they're going to be pretty safe and they're going to be pretty informed by the other dog. So you don't have to do a ton, right? but there are going to be things that you like, you can recall dog one, dog two. And then if dog three, the puppy isn't paying attention to them, they're gone. She doesn't hear them bounce back to you. That's where, because I would just say, like, if your recall is good with the other dogs, you're, the puppy is yeah. likely just going to keep following. But again, you have to think about, well, what if, what if we don't see or hear these dogs move away? Then my For her reference point exactly. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. So just off the cuff, uh huh. I, I think that that's what I would be. As a like again, as a dog owner, I think I would be like working on as I would just think about the things that you really want to accomplish, the things that are going to get in your way, mm-hmm. and I think it's like okay, I really need to be able to send her to a location that she'll stay in, 
or, you know, like when people come over, same thing. So you would do recall and then you would delegate. Right. And that if, makes a lot of sense. And if she's barking at like the other dogs and things like that, like, again, you can't really from across the room say, hey, leave it because guess what? She can't hear you. And right. <laughs> you want, and with a deaf dog and even a blind dog too, you want the remote collar to be your best friend. That's that is your translator. That's it. Right. How are you going to touch? Yeah. Oh, unless you keep your dog on a leash for the rest of their life, which isn't realistic. No. Um. So so that's kind of like your middle man or woman, if you will. So the next kind of question is: Is again how you how you would introduce that and how you would do that? But it sounds like surprisingly to me that the the positive only person that's explaining to you the e-collar usage for a right. de- deaf or blind dog is exactly how I use it. I use that's it with, amazing. yeah, negative reinforcement. So essentially the dog is out away from me and mm-hmm. they don't have any, so, and if you go back and look at that, both of the dogs that I worked with are de- deaf and blind were both white. So if you look oh, yeah. at the earliest one that I've done, so, what sh- again, like what we did is you'd put the dog out on a long line, non-distracted. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't want the other dogs around because it's not realistic um, because you're working on currency. Yeah. Think about it. Like, what does that mean? Attention. You're working on attention. Right. So like, again, I have a one-year-old, so it's like, you know, <laughs> right. if Barney's on the, on the screen and I'm over here trying to feed him blueberries, I'm losing. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I've, <laughs> I've lost that battle because the value yep. is Barney and, you know, blueberries Not are secondary. Blueberries. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it's really about attention. So you want to do this in a non-distracted environment to introduce it. So garage, basement, hallway, the other dogs are outside, whatever. Yeah. And what you would do is, uh, again, like – and again, context is huge. So this is a very important piece that a lot of people ultimately fail. This is why one of the main reasons why these pieces of equipment get banned in certain countries is there's a ginormous spectrum of e-collars and brands and things. So if you buy a $30 piece of crap, it's going to suck and your dog's going to hate it and you're not going to see results, period. Right. To get your, to get your animal, to get your domesticated animal to listen to a sensation uh, it takes time, skill, patience, knowledge, experience, all of that. So think about when you're, so get a good collar, like, you know, my collar, which you know about, um, there's others out there that are are good too, but I'm just frame a reference mine. So what you would do is you have time, which is nice. Yeah. But you would do, meaning you don't have a huge behavioral thing. You're like, how do I start this thing? So yeah, it's not like, oh my God, like stop the bleeding. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. We're not in panic mode, which is good. So I would, I'd get the e-collar, put it it on her for a week. Don't turn it on just so she's starting because with feral-esque type dogs, Uh they like a wild Mustang, like they're not going to want to have a saddle. Yeah. They're, yeah, yeah, they're not, they're not going to feel comfortable with like extra equipment. But if you get totally. a like a pet dog that's eight to ten weeks and they've had equipment on their whole life, you know, leashes, really collars, care. flea fleeing tick, blah, blah, blah. They're not like, oh, what's this on my neck? Right. So I would just put it on her, um, leave it on her for a week, and then you know, after a week, she's, you know, not like what the heck is this? And then you would start your your e-collar conditioning. So you'd get high reward food. 
mm-hmm. you would like so this would be good first thing in the morning when um she's hungry she the hungriest yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. so you would um get you'd let her get away you know away mm-hmm. from you uh facing the opposite direction with your long line your long line is to enforce so when you're introducing okay. the remote caller you're not going to enforce with the remote caller because it's not fair they don't know where it's coming from they don't know what yeah. it is you wouldn't do that so the long line is if you if you use your e-caller so you turn mm-hmm. it on we have a continu- yeah. we have a continuous function which is going to go tap 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 to the dog and mm-hmm. the objective like somebody tapping you, uh, tapping you on your shoulder is she turns around, she starts coming to you, okay. boom, it shuts off. And then when she gets to you, you would then pay her. So mm-hmm. there's a couple different ways you can do this. Um, again, like you want her to give you more granule context. You want her about three to five feet away from you. You're not trying to do like a 20, 30 footer. Like three to five feet away from you, just so you can back up. You're going to turn the e-collar on. I would start around a three. Um, Okay. And and the good thing about you working with a deaf dog is she's going to give you information a lot clearer than others. Yeah. Um, Meaning like a lot of dog owners confuse the heck out of their dogs with all this stuff. Oh, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You have a nice streamlined. Input. (laughs) Yep. This is it. This is your shot, which is, you know, I wish I can... I turn off the volume uh, for dogs when, when they're working with dog owners who are inexperienced because it makes things a lot worse. It kind of sure. clutters. I can imagine. The, yeah, it clutters the. Yeah, you're saying things that don't matter. Or, yeah. yeah. And the dog's confused and whatever. Anyway, so three to five feet away from you, not too far. You're going to hold the continuous. Uh, so on my e collar again, it's a tap, tap, tap. Um, right. You're going to wait for her to respond. So you're going to kind of find that level for her to be responsive. And what you're going to see is you're just going to see her turn around. She's mm-hmm. gonna go up, and again, it's um, you're gonna you're gonna do that, and then the moment she turns to you, you're gonna. This is important. You're gonna use your body like a natural recall. You're gonna kind of start walking backwards. You're gonna mm-hmm. start like it's hard not to say yay, good job, but you're going to even though she can't hear you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I do it all the time, <clears throat> but yeah, you're right. just gonna like really reward that when she comes to animate yourself. Like animated is really important. So. Again, dropping your shoulders and then backstepping. She comes to you and then you pay her with the highest food you can. So mm-hmm. whatever you see fit, chicken, beef liver, treats, high value, whatever. And then you use, so for like a break command, like what uh-huh. I what I typically do is I kind of do like people would go shoo. Like I just kind of like throw my hands up and I just like flick my wrists and I go break. And that's just yep. instinctual. I'll just say break and then I'll disengage. So that just tells the dog, you're done. We're done here. Yeah. Yep. You can find whatever cue you want. You can tap yeah. her. You can, you can, what it doesn't matter. Um, okay. So just find your cue. Just find your break. And then, um, and then you just keep doing that. So the, the goal is, is when she feels the remote caller. And when I say feel, I'm, I mean, that's what I mean. Like I'm not saying yeah. when she gets corrected because it's not a correction. She feels the remote caller. The objective, again, you're standing in line at the supermarket. Somebody taps you on your shoulder. You're going to flick around. And right. then you're going to, you're going to go, Oh, okay. Wh- who's getting my attention? Right. So that's what your, that's what your objective is with a remote caller. And a couple subtleties here. Uh, again, sure. if she's unresponsive, like you just want to find that level. Every dog is different. I would mm-hmm. guess she's going to be between a three and a five. 
Okay. Um, humans don't feel it on their face till about a six to eight. Mm-hmm. We don't feel it on our wrist usually between 11 to 20, depending on the person. So very, very low. And so you hold it. She turns. She looks at you. She comes to you. It turns off. Um, wow, okay. Yeah, it's a really cool thing. So essentially, and, and, and dogs, and that's the cool thing about equipment in general. Like that's why I geek out over it so much and I am very passionate about it. And it, sure. it saddens me to see people A, use it wrong and B, people not know what they like, are and hate them. And, yeah, it's yep, like, totally. mm, how much have you done with it? None? Okay. Right. So, you know, it's like I hate that type of food. I'm like, have you tried it? No, but other people say it but, sucks. Okay. That's, I don't believe, right? I don't, I can't really value in, in, in appreciate. That opinion. Yeah, it's not yeah. a validated opinion. It might be, how do you know though? Well, I read it. Totally. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so anyway, so. Uh, again, just like keep it really low, keep it really simple. And the objective is that when she feels that stimulation, she knows mm-hmm. she has to come to you. And yeah. you can start pairing your long line. Like if she doesn't turn, you can kind of pop your long line. But um, I think with her, because of her age and her your willingness to use the remote collar, I would just kind of wait for her to get that attention. So you just use mm-hmm. your remote collar. Um, again, like my unit has very subtle levels. So when you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, it's not jumping considerably. The five feels very similar to the seven. The seven yeah. feels very similar to the nine and so on and so forth. So just ever so slightly she's going to turn she's going to look at you and you're going to animate yourself to get her to you and that's what you're going to do uh does that make sense so far yeah totally totally so it sounds like that'll obviously be the the core of the use of the collar will be the recall so is your opinion overall then that you know that's 90 percent of the function and then obviously not the first thing we're going to work on but the other 10 percent is just in emergency situations is that like just to keep it very uncomplicated in her mind, is that how that would go? To yeah. your point, so it's not like you know there's twelve very subtle uh, levels, or you know I, we're going to train something different on each one. Like that's not the philosophy, right? No, you so you could. It's in in my philosophy, it, it changes every second that I talk to a dog owner because I can kind of open Pandora's box up and go any direction. It just sure. you know it depends on what your goals are, what your expectations are, how much time you have, how, how much skill you have. So mm-hmm. you can do a lot of different things. Like again, just to go fancy, like you can also teach your dog. So let's say in conjunction with doing the e-collar stimulation, again, the stimulation you can play around with. So you can hold, which will be, okay, I'm holding this till you get to my feet and then I'm letting it go. Your dog is smart enough and you know, uh, you know that your skill sets are good enough that your dog will comprehend that. Your dog will capture that. Holding, right. holding means come to me. Then if you want to tap twice, that means sit. If you want to tap three times, that could mean place. If you want to, you know, there's, there's so many different ways you can go about it. So it really just depends. And again, how skillful you are, I think is how much experience and skill you have. And then also like what your goals are. Cause I can be saying this to some people and they're like, just can my dog come back to me please like that's all like that's all they really want it's all i care about you know so again like that doesn't have it doesn't have to it doesn't end there the options don't end there you can get as creative as you want with it basically all you're doing think about your voice inflection right so your cues your verbal your verbal cues to behaviors will be sit means put their butt on the ground down means laying down place means go to your bed 
dogs are smart enough that you can start implementing that with just a different type of communication, which is your e-collar. So if you wanted to say down is two taps on the remote collar, you'd uh-huh. have to, you'd have to free, you, you'd basically have to teach the dog go into a down first and then into a sit with food. And then what happens yeah. is, is the dog is like going into this position gets me paid, going into this position gets me paid. So you teach him this circus. And then yep. what you do is you almost free shape it a little bit. So you'll say, okay, I want the down to be a triple tap. Tap, 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 they sit. Tap, 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 they sit. Tap, tap, tap. And they're thinking in their head, give me the food. Give me the food. Right. <laughs> and then they go into a down, boom, they get paid. And then if you right. condition, and again, experience, timing, skill, your dog will know that those three taps mean go into a down. The holding means come to my feet. The one tap means sit etc. There's so many different things that you can skillfully do. And again, that's why it surprises me that so many positive only trainers don't understand the conditioning of the remote collar because you can do like the the timing of the remote collar is untouched. There's nothing else in the world that can touch the e-collar timing. You you push a button the exact moment it goes to your dog. There's nothing else that we have on the planet that allows you to do that. So it's like, it's such a beautiful thing that you can work with. And to clarify too, um, to give you information as you're reading through other articles and other training protocols and techniques, um, yeah. uh, just to give you clarification on how we do, again, negative reinforcement training with the remote collar. Negative, uh, so the dog training industry has been muddied by marketing and corporate and, and money. So yeah. uh, th- so with that comes manipulation and corruptness and everything else. So they try to fool you. So, right. so at, at least that's my experience. So, po- no, no, I'm totally hearing that. Yeah. Positive in dog training and teaching any animal to do anything is adding. That's all you're doing is you're adding. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, yep. Negative means the exact opposite. You're taking something away. Removing. Okay. Yep. So, when we talk about negative reinforcement, so reinforcement is to, to teach the dog to do something again in, in, in the, in the future. Like that's what we're, we're reinforcing something, right? We want the dog, the action or process is to strengthen, right? So to encourage and establish, I'm reading the definition in front of me, establishing belief or pattern (laughs) of a behavior, right? Especially by, or, and, or encouraged by the reward. So enforcement is like, yes, we want you to do this, right? So, negative reinforcement you may think like okay i know negative means taking something away reinforcement means we want to solid something up so it happens again in the future and strengthen that yeah so negative means we're taking the remote collar pressure away tapping on the shoulder it goes away you get paid it's the same exact thing when we get into our car and we start driving it goes ding 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 we go man this is exactly this is this is is annoying we put our we put our belt on and boom it stops Yep. So right. anything outside of that, again, is marketing manipulation. Like some people will say a positive only experience that just makes dog owners feel good when the actuality yeah. is, is there's people who understand behavior like myself and other people were looking at that as like, okay, so you're adding something to the equation. Like how many yeah. people are like, what do you, so, so don't be, so again, like when you're reading through these scenarios, I want you to understand the negative reinforcement is, isn't bad. Nope. No. Yeah. Nope. It's just dog it, come. They turn, they look at you, they come to you, boom, it shuts off. Great job. Right. That makes perfect sense. So that's the that's the way that I would do it. And then again, I would do, in my 
you know, just depends on what you want to do, but then you would delegate. Okay, what do I want her to do that's going to be a problem? She's going to probably, when people come over, Resist she's going to yeah, yeah. be excited. So I, I want the place, I want the down, I want the stay. And you can do all of those with the remote caller. That's great. Mm-hmm. It's fun. That's super cool. Definitely. So there's no correction coming from the e-caller. It's basically... Oh, yeah. So good. Yes. So sometimes I forget about this because the correction for most people is the easiest thing. They're like, okay, how do yeah, I right, make like the dog uncomfortable? Like this, right. Exactly, right. That's, that's why I don't talk about it because I'm like, everyone knows how to do that. Right. But no, yeah. not a lot of people <laughs> have the experience in doing it the other way. So, so good point. Okay. So by, again, by a general rule, everything that I've ever talked about ever is generalized, you know? Of course. Um, so yeah. you have a lot of there's a lot of people. things yeah. going on, but for like your equation, right? So in your yeah. equation, it would be once the dog understands the policy that you place that when this remote collar comes on, you are to then respond to that in this way, which would be recall. Um, right. So really it's not like, okay, where's the correction from the remote collar at its basic core, it's enforcement. So yeah, what are we enforcing? Right. And, and again, just to not bore you, but enforcement no, no. or, you know, sound redundant enforcement is essentially like you talk about hockey. Like there, there's an enforcer out there. They're enforcing like the morale of the game or there's law enforcement officers, right? What is their job? Their job is to enforce policies, regulations, and rules and laws that are set by the government, the people, right? So you're speeding yeah. 70 and a 30, that officer is going to pull you over and give you a ticket. It causes you stress. It costs you money. The goal is to teach you a lesson. Not to, to do that. No, hey, don't do that. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. Yep. And that's the same exact thing we would do with any dog, any puppy in any situation is the reason why we don't want you to do it is because it's dangerous. It's, right. we, I love you. So it's, it's interesting. It's like if you love dogs, but you don't believe in punishment, it's a, it's a very big contradicting statement. So, oh, totally. you know, so, uh, again, that enforcement at its base core is going to come from, it's got to, again, unless it's, immediate danger where you have a dog like running into a road right or yeah. then you would grab him by the back of the head and get him out of get him out of there and you wouldn't care about how they felt right it's weird that we can all agree about keeping yeah right. keeping them alive right. yeah everyone would be like yeah like good job like yeah the dogs lost some hair and they squealed when you pulled them but good job and i'm but like they're alive like yeah and that's how i would train any dog ever but but it's even a lot more ethical and humane because we teach them how to understand these policies first before we ever would ever cause them any like an ounce of stress so the enforcement comes from when the dog fully understands a what you're asking or and in your case how to respond right so if you say if you hold your e-collar and they know that they're supposed to respond and they don't because again there's barney on tv and all you have is blueberries Right. Then that's when the stimulation comes up. So they're looking in a different direction at a higher currency. And then what happens is they decide to ignore you. And then the stimulation jumps up to snap them out of it, to get their attention, to cause them stress, to make them uncomfortable. And then they zip back to you and then it goes back down. So in the introduction phases, it would never be used as a correction. Right. And so if we actually boil it down and have a conversation about if somebody again, like, okay, well, I read somewhere that we should never use it as a correction. But the the problem is, is that, that, so you're, so take e-callers out of the equation, take prong callers, take anything that can actually be accountable. What that actually means is, is you're not actually enforcing something. Forcing, 
It's not yeah, about the yeah. tools. The tools are the target, right? Yeah, so, that's the easy thing to point at. A hundred percent, right? It's like yeah. it's like politics too. It's like, well, for Democrats, the target is Biden, and and for Republicans, the target is Trump. It's like they're just using that as a, as an example to target the closest thing they possibly can to get rid of something they don't believe in, whatever that may right. be. Right, like the, with zero nuance and new. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, yeah. So, but but at the end of the day, it's believing in enforcement. So if my dog who is outside playing in the yard decides, especially for a deaf puppy decides to run across a busy street to see another dog. And I quickly use my e-collar and they don't respond because who gives a shit about a five. Then you go up to a 25 or a 30 to snap him out of it, to correct him, to cause them again, stress punishment. All of that is important because again, like if cops pulled you over going 75 in a school zone and they're like, Hey, great car, nice hair, nice glasses, nice teeth. Wow. You're beautiful. Have a lovely day. We're like, damn, I'm just going to keep speeding because these cops are great. That's not the, right? that's not the, <laughs> you know, the, the, the importance and the ethical part of our lives as well as dogs lives as enforcement is it has to matter. And that's where a lot of people fall short. And that's where we, that's where we divide the line of, there's uh, there's there's different types of training policies, but for me, you know, and even for human behavior, like that enforcement has to be there. So that's where the e-collar enforcement would come in, but it's only going to happen when the dog fully understands. Where you get into problems and situations is when people are introducing the remote collar. They think if the dog doesn't respond the first time when they're introducing the remote collar that they start to go up, the dog the dog yells screeches flattens freaks out and then you you shelf it and then you pick a you pick an agenda because of your bad experience but that's only because you did it wrong that's great all right so i guess my only other i have one final question (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i think this is a very short-term thing it's just exasperated by the fact that you know she just got here and everything but Mm -hmm. again this goes back to the barking one thing we notice is now, they told us she was crate trained. I think she just needs actual crate training. She's probably not crate trained. But um, she will bark in the crate. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, I don't want to leave the, the long line on her for... I mean, maybe that's the recommendation, though. I don't know. So, if, if she needs to be corrected in that kind of a situation, like, hey, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. All the other dogs are asleep. The people are asleep. Like, you have nothing to be barking at right now. Um, you know, what would you recommend in that situation? Um... It's tough. Um, I think at this age, uh, I'd be more looking towards trying to find a void for her. So okay. first thing I would say is exercise, mental and physical. So again, let's say you're out with your dog. You, I mean, there are outliers. There are certain, like my dog is one of them. And <laughs> no matter how much mental and physical exercise, exercise they get, they're still, yeah. let's go. So that's the, but that's the very first thing because there's not a lot of, it's more of a uncommon thing, but that's, that's the first thing. So, um, just think about it, you know, at the end of the day, if you put your dog into a, their crate, I mean, you would want them to have the ability to just fall asleep. Okay, cool. I'm tired. Good night. Just like kids, they just crash. So same thing with us, you know, humans. So I would just say like, that's the first thing I would be working on. The other thing, yeah, the other thing I would say is like try to make, again, it's really difficult because I don't know, you know, the back history uh, of the dog. I don't know what they've done, what they haven't done. I don't know what's, you know, what type of things they've gone through. 
So sure. some things I would try to do is just make the situation more comfortable. So if I had a dog that was barking throughout the night, um, what I'll try to do is say, okay, I'm going to integrate you into my room. So at least you're not alone. You feel me here. Um, that helps uh, because they can hear you. They can see you, things like that. You just have yeah. to, you just have to go down the path of risk over reward. So again, if your dog barks in the crate all night and keeps you up and you lose sleep and it changes how you live your day and it changes how your dogs live their day, then you would have right. to figure out some sort of correction outside of the things that I've already told you. So the goal is to always try to fill the void for the dog outside of physical and mental exercise. But if you can't find and if you can't find a solution to help your dog feel more comfortable and they're just barking because why not? then that's where I would then lean into, you know, like um, a vibrating collar. Because w what's happening is is the, the point of view from the dog outside of abuse, abandonment, um, things like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. W what happens is the dog is just saying, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> What's up? What are you doing? I'm in here. You're out there. Why? And so a lot of times that's just what they're doing. And so if you can cor yeah. if you can correct that behavior to say, hey, knock it off, they only have one other option, which is to curl up in a little ball and fall asleep. And now you're like, perfect. And yeah, I've done that sense. hundreds of times and it's been successful. But well, in the beginning, yeah. I've, I've tried to... Like yeah. But again, yeah. like, who knows? This dog could have been, this dog being in the car and streets and it's every single, every single association with the crate in this dog's life has been traumatic and terrible. And so being in the crate is right. terrible. So there you go. Yeah. So then, so then again, like, then you would start feeding. It's a process. Though. Yeah. Yep. It's a, it's a conditioning. In the crate. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So those are the cool. things that you'd have to try to alternatively do. All right. That works really well so I'm, I'm assuming your e-collar is in stock is that true say it one more time on your site is your e-collar yes stock on your site okay yeah it is yeah it, and the, it doesn't matter like her size that's that's irrelevant for the e-collar situation um yes and no uh okay so she, the only thing that for sizing the only thing that unless she's like you know teacup but she's not the only thing no, i would no, say no. the only thing i would say is if it if you get the collar and the bungee doesn't go small enough, you can uh -huh. use like a regular strap. Um, so you okay. can like order yeah. a regular strap that it'll fit on that'll go tighter. Okay, yeah, I've seen them on like Etsy and weird places. They make them to size. So yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, cool. All right. Well, this has been super helpful. Thank you so much. I'm Welcome. really glad we talked at this stage of things, which is you know mm -hmm. after the first all night of a puppy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> um, but. But yeah, I'll work on this and you'll probably hear from me again somewhere down the line. Sweet. Yeah, I look forward to awesome. it. Awesome. Thank Thanks you. so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Have a great day. First question comes from I Am Not a Robot. Uh, Five-star review. Uh, Tom and the No Bad Dog may have helped me so much with my work, confidence, and overall knowledge about things with dogs. My question for you is how often should I be walking a dog who is normally very calm and chill at home? We both get major anxiety ongoing for walks. The context is, is she's a highly reactive dog, aggressive, loves people. Six-year-old mixed breed. We unfortunately had jumped several, we have been jumped several times by off-leash dogs in the neighborhood. And now I'm walking through crazy anxiety, working through crazy anxiety for both of us when walking. Uh, I have another dog who does not care about other dogs. Um, 
if I'm lucky, I mentally can manage two to three times a week. I think if your dog doesn't care about these walks or is uncomfortable with it, um, I don't think it matters as much. I think if you have a reactive dog and they need to get out and they want to get out, that's a different story on like managing the reactivity. But if your dog actually doesn't want to go and you don't particularly love it, then I would say what you're doing is fine. Doing the backyard work is good. Also, just finding a new neighborhood like to go walk in, load your dog up into a car and go to a trail, go to a park, go to a maybe downtown. You're not going to have off-leash dogs downtown, so that might be better for you as well. So just try to find alternatives that help you find uh, environmental alternatives that will help you and your dog become more comfortable in the walk. Next one comes from Aubrey L. The podcast is invaluable information. Tom is able to explain things clear and concise. Just wondering the thoughts on bark collars. Good question. So we've used them for sure. Um, You just have to be careful which ones you get. There's some bark collars that will pick up any barking and correct the dog. You never want that. Uh, I don't know why. I guess people who have just one dog, but still it it intakes uh, audible and then it corrects in that correlation it doesn't actually like feel a bark and then go off so that's important first there's also my suggestion for anybody out there that's looking for a bark collar is interested they are definitely again like we talk about the risk over reward how much stress is caused from a dog and the people and the other dogs around this dog from habitually barking for several hours at a time an immense amount of stress Using a bark collar to eliminate barking after one or two barks so the dog can learn how to take a nap and stop barking and deal with life is incredibly beneficial and, you know, it's unethical to live a life barking their whole life. They might as well be in a shelter. So again, these are conversations we always have to ask ourselves when we're talking about is it fair or not? Is it fair to let the dog continue to do the behavior that they're doing that you want to correct? If the answer is no, then you know it's safe to correct. It's just how do we do it? Um, but my suggestion for you is like the vibration bark collars. Dogtra makes a collar called the IQ Vibe, I believe. You might want to look into it. Um, that's my suggestion. That's my thoughts on them. But again, you know, we use them in daycare quite often because we just get some dogs who haven't been trained. They have no rules. They have no regulations. They've never been in a crate. They've never been told no. And again, if we don't use a bark collar, they can't come to daycare. They can't come to daycare. They sit at home. They sit at home. They get bored. They misbehave. They do things, right? So risk over reward. Good question though. Next one comes from Poet Breath. Five-star review. Hi, Tom. Love the podcast. Last week when we brought our new rescue, Annie, to our in-laws for the weekend, sadly, she got into two fights with their dog and ended up tearing one of the dog's ears. We've had Annie for about two months and take her to our apartment's dog park where she seems to have good social skills and always matches our dog's play level. She has a history of provoking other family members' dogs. I also noticed that she growls a bit while eating and picking up toys. Resource guarding, common. She started the fight. She started the first fight and Annie pinned her to the ground. The second fight occurred after my dog growled at Annie for playing with a tug toy a few moments later. I'm going to stop here. So um, never, when you have other dogs in anybody else's house, pull up every single thing. Pull up toys, pull up water bowls, pull up uh, food, uh, any of those things. That is a, if you were to tell me, and this goes for anybody, and I know you're just asking, and that's why I want to be, I want to be real with you. Um if anybody asks me, hey, I'm going to bring my dog over to somebody else's house with their dog, 
what should I do? And or I'm going to leave high value toys down. I'm going to leave high value food down and I'm going to leave treats around. I will tell you nine times out of 10, you're going to see a dog fight, period. You are asking for a dog fight. So I don't need to finish that, not to be disrespectful, but it's very easy. Next time you go over, remove all of the high value things because you are literally just waiting for something bad to happen. Always take those up. Uh, And again, we just can't be naive that our dogs are friendly at home with us and toys and bones and balls. But when they go to somebody else's house, everything changes. Take up everything. Next time you go over, go for a walk before they're inside with each other. And remember that they have resource guarding issues with one another, which is very common. It's a very personality-based thing. So that's it. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Bye. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.